I thought moving from Seattle to Blood Creek would put me closer to my mother, but leave my journalism career dwindling. After a few years of living here, I've started to realize things happening in Blood Creek, they're not just newsworthy, they're strange. After coming across this many weird cases in just a few years, I've decided to review the cases that I've encountered, starting with the case of Jamie and Jason Buckner. I thought hard about the interactions Jamie had described to me, so detailed that the scenes played out in my mind over and over again. Jamie seemed certain that she wanted the world to know her story, her version of the truth. Even if it meant that the world would find her and ridicule her and her daughter living in their new town with their new names. Hi, Miss Buckner. It's Miller now. I've gone back to my maiden name. But that's between me and you. You can refer to me as Jamie Buckner in your article. I noticed Jamie looking around my office. Are you okay? I have water and coffee for the both of us. Is there anything else that you would prefer? I have soda, snacks... No, thank you. This is fine. Although I'm sure I'll need a refill on my coffee soon. You have posters on your wall? Oh, yes. These are just some bands I've seen live. I love live music. I try to keep it comfortable in here. I've never been a fan of standard office decor. I need the people telling me their stories to be comfortable. It was April 21st, 2009 when Jason didn't come home for the first time. He hadn't responded to any of Jamie's texts, and she sat up all night worried. She claimed that she always knew where her husband was, but this time she had no idea. Jason didn't drink heavily, and he wasn't a drug user. Jamie described him as always being in control. She feared the worst. Jamie even called the police department at midnight. She wasn't that surprised when the officer brushed her off. Husbands often don't come home. He wanted her to at least wait until morning. Jamie's heart sank even more when Jason walked through the door at 7 a.m. and he wasn't injured. Her worry turned to sorrow. Where was he? What was he doing all night long? Jason didn't usually go out with friends, and Jamie didn't understand how he could worry her like that, how he could be so inconsiderate. But as a journalist, I've seen stranger things. These things happen in marriages all the time. I'm sorry, honey. Some guys from work wanted to take a last-minute fishing trip, and I forgot my phone in the workshop. I was so worried. I couldn't sleep all night. Couldn't you have at least borrowed a friend's phone? Jason, what is this all over your pants? We caught this huge fish. Bobby was the one who caught it, but we all brought it in. When we took the hook out, it bled everywhere. Can you treat those and throw them in the wash for me? So I did as he asked, treated and washed his jeans. I forgot about the whole thing within a few days, mostly because he was intent on making it up to me. He wanted me to forget. He took me out for a romantic getaway. He whisked me away for the weekend to Myrtle Beach. We drank wine and sat on the shore overlooking the ocean during the day and made passionate love in the evening. He even snuck her into the lifeguard shack, pushing her up against the wall. Jamie described her husband as hungry for it. He seemed to have a confidence that he hadn't had before. And it worked. Six weeks later, in August 2009, Jamie woke up early in the morning to unwrap that little white stick. 
She waited patiently like she had done so many times before. The stick showed two lines. Jamie was pregnant. I find myself listening to the story of how Jamie and Jason met over and over. Reclusive. Those types of words always stick out when you look back on a man that has done something like Jason did. I want to tell you a little more of who he was as a person. I had grown up with Jason, but I didn't know him all that well. As kids, I mean. We were very different. I thrived in a big social circle. I was always surrounded by friends. I wasn't the prettiest girl in the crowd. I was average. I was the type of average that didn't have trouble finding a date in high school. But the boys weren't pounding down my door. I enjoyed cheerleading and dances while Jason was reclusive. Although I see it that way now, as reclusive. At the time, I simply looked at him as shy. Strangely, it was something that appealed to me. He was sweet, and I envied that he didn't care what anyone thought of him. I would often see him look at me out of the corner of his eye, watching me from afar, never daring to actually approach a girl like me. That made me feel special. He thought I was special. He thought I was too special for him. It wasn't until after we graduated high school that I approached him. I started working at the steak shack when I was 17. My parents had always tried to instill a good work ethic into me and my brother, and I was still working there two years later while I attended a local community college. I was 19 when he walked through the door as a new hire. I hadn't thought about him since before graduation in 1999. But then he walked through the door and our eyes met. He still had the same grungy look to him, that bad boy look. When our eyes locked, I knew there was an unspoken agreement between us, although neither of us would admit to it. Then a few days later, I saw him sitting at one of the outdoor tables, and I grabbed my lunch, took a deep breath. I had to go talk to him. I was convinced he was waiting for me to talk to him. Until I approached him. He looked at me, surprised. Hi, Jamie. Is the seat taken? No, please sit down. It was the beginning of what Jamie thought was the best friendship she had ever known. She divulged all her secrets to Jason. And she thought he did to her. He followed her anywhere, any activity she was interested in. He made his priority. Jamie thought he loved her. Jamie's parents, on the other hand, didn't approve. They saw Jason as a social reject. They saw him as having no future. As time went on, Jason seemed to prove them wrong. He made it his priority to prove them wrong. He wanted a family. He wanted Jamie. He went to trade school and became a welder. The family wouldn't be rich by any means, but he would be able to provide a nice income for Jamie and the family that they would create together. They waited for Jason to become substantiated at his job, and in 2006, he proposed, and the two were married six months later. The wedding pictures were beautiful. It wasn't a huge ceremony. Instead, they decided to have family and friends join them in the Florida Keys. Jamie wore a high-low beach-style wedding dress. It was sleeveless with a ruffled bottom that went to about her mid-thigh. It looked perfect as she walked through the sand. It had a long back to keep the dress somewhat traditional. 
She wore beautiful brown cowboy boots her mother had surprised her with, and they looked amazing. Her white dress and long flowing blonde hair. Looking at pictures of Jason trade school had done him well. He was skinny and scraggly in high school, but in their wedding photos, he was muscular. His once scraggly, grungy hair turned silky. The photos of the young couple standing at the altar, with the sun shining down upon them, and the salty breeze in their hair, were truly magical. I walked down the aisle knowing that I was walking into my future. I realized he had become the definition of tall, dark, and handsome. Me being only five foot two, I was petite. I had to have the skirt of my wedding dress altered to fall into the right place on my thigh. My mother, my best friend, lined the few aisles we had with roses and rose petals. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? I do. Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? I do. I felt like the happiest girl in the world when my seemingly perfect husband and I sat our handwritten vows together. That was the beginning of what Jamie had thought would be the best friendship she had ever known. If she had only known. Jason's family wasn't as supportive. Jason had grown up in an extremely religious household, which isn't very uncommon in the town of Blood Creek. Most families attended the same Presbyterian church every Sunday. Jason's family took their religion farther than most. Jamie described his mother and father often street preaching and handing out pamphlets on the corner. I went to Jason's parents' home. The family lived in a smaller home. It was a little run down and in need of repair. They kept signs promoting Jesus as your savior in the front yard so people could see them when they drove by the home. But overall, I found Jason's parents to be kind-hearted people. They seemed to thrive upon helping those in need. They wanted Jason to marry a more religious girl, a more wholesome girl. They didn't see Jamie as those things. They attended the wedding, but made their objections known. When did you first notice something was wrong? I had heard about the missing girl from Alexburg, but I didn't notice anything wrong, per se. It was a town about 50 miles west of us. As soon as we returned from Myrtle Beach, we joined the search parties, and we walked for miles and miles along rural land with an arm's length of each other. We felt so bad for the family. I mean, in hindsight, I felt so bad for the family. Tromping over sticks and looking through brush, we were dripping sweat as we walked along Quake Becks, kicking around sand, looking for the smallest item that could mean anything, and we came up empty-handed. Her name was Amy Brunner, and she was a beautiful 17-year-old girl whose parents were missing her dearly. Her frantic mother tried to give a speech to give us motivation on our search, but she was heartbroken, and her tears refused to let her. Her black-haired, brown-eyed, beautiful daughter had not been seen in almost five days at that point. We stood next to a big blown-up picture they had erected of the girl, Amy's father quickly took over for his wife. We went home that night exhausted, defeated. I knelt down at the end of my bed that night, which I seldom did, and prayed for her to be found safe. Jason was brushing his teeth and peeked out of the door of our adjoining bathroom. Do you think they'll find her? I hope so, but the longer it takes, the worse I think the chances are. They'll find her. You'll see. 
She probably just went out partying and hasn't come home yet. Teenagers. They do that sort of thing, you know? I often thought about this piece of audio, Jason so cold, with no regard for the parents of the missing girl that he had just faced. I remember learning more about Amy Brenner in the upcoming days. My co-worker was the lead on the story. The search is still on for Amy Brenner. Five days ago, Amy left her friend's house after a night of studying. She took the route through the farmlands, a heavily wooded rural area. Police have ruled out Amy as a runaway. Police are asking anyone that may have any information on Amy's whereabouts to please come forward. This is Jill Jansen with the WEVL Channel 13 News, Flood Creek. Jamie, had you noticed anything strange around your house before the disappearance of Amy Brenner? Not really. After the wedding, Jason and I moved into the home because it was large enough to accommodate the children we wanted. We had decided to live with our parents until the wedding, saving up for a home for our family to grow in. We chose a colonial home with three beautifully large bedrooms upstairs. Walking through the front door of the living room was a decent size with beautiful beveled glass doors opening to the kitchen. It was a country-style kitchen with a lot of cabinet space and a dining area with a large bay window. The house would have been too small, but some years back, the previous owners had added a great room on through the kitchen. Such a beautiful room with a fireplace. I could imagine so many cozy story times with my future children. There's this old big barn in the back, and Jason wanted to make it his man cave. And I thought we would live there for the rest of our lives. I feel like I was so naive. Things can change so quickly. Life can be funny or maybe a bit cruel that way. He wanted to carry me across the threshold of our new home as his wife. A close friend who was unable to attend our Florida wedding agreed to oversee the move. It was seamless and it, it felt that way anyway. When he carried me across the threshold for the first time, we were surprised at how beautifully our furniture and belongings had been arranged. My friend Kim had done a, such a beautiful job instructing them, and my mother and her went the extra mile of unpacking our things for us as a surprise. I was thrilled, until I realized Jason was not. He felt my mother and Kim had intruded on our personal space. Why would your family think it was acceptable to look through our things? I don't know why you were so upset, Jason. I don't think we have anything that they can't see. Is something missing? I don't know where anything is. I want to put my stuff where I want it. I don't have anything they couldn't see, but some things are still personal. Boundaries. They crossed a boundary. Well, I'm sorry it happened, but what's done is done. Jason stormed out and he didn't return for a few hours. When he did, he had a safe. I asked him what he needed to lock away and his explanation was important paperwork. I didn't really see any issue with that, and he said he would make me a key. I didn't realize until much later that not only did I not have a key, I had no idea where he had hidden the safe. Do you know what was in the safe? I didn't hear about the police finding a safe. I don't have any information here on a safe. I'll look into it and see what I can find. If you do, I would like to know. Thank you. Of course. This seemingly innocent interaction seemed not so innocent to Jamie in hindsight. The couple had just moved in, and I wondered, 
What could Jason have had to hide at that time? Did you know the friends from work that Jason claimed to go fishing with? Jason never took me to his place of employment or introduced me to any of his friends. Well, not until much later. Did you think that was strange at all? I didn't think it was strange. I just knew Jason was different. I didn't expect him to be like all the other husbands. I didn't expect him to do a lot of things that my friend's husbands did, like cheat or sit and play video games all day or go out to the bar drinking regularly. I expected him to be different, and I liked that he was different. I appreciated that he was different. My father, whom I loved dearly, would stay out all night at the bar when I was young, and my parents made it through those years, but even as a child, I knew how hard it was for my mother. My father is a well-loved man who had plenty of friends, and it led to plenty of troubled nights. I would wake up terrified to the sounds of my mother screaming at him as he walked in the door, drunk after pulling an all-nighter with his friends, doing God knows what. And even if Jason did stay out unexpectedly one night, I have friends who have stopped counting the number of times their husbands haven't come home. But he did do it again. Stay out all night, I mean. He did, but not right away. He didn't do it again until after I had Abby, but mostly he would stay in our barn all night. Since you're mentioning your daughter, Abby, can you tell me a little bit about how he was with her? What kind of father was Jason? Uh, Memories with Abby and Jason are some of my favorites. He was everything I expected him to be. He was attentive, concerned, loving. I gave birth to Abby in June of 2010, and Jason and I were both 29 years old. When I had her, my heart was filled with so much love, but I was so tired. Jason helped, but he was still working overtime, so I mostly attended to her at night. But there were times he would see how exhausted I was, and he would get up on his own to give me the break that I needed. He was a considerate father, and he was always concerned about something happening to Abby. He didn't like it when strangers would get too close to her and didn't want me leaving her at a daycare. He wanted her to be with family all the time, and it was a little inconvenient at times, but I made it work. My mother and sister-in-law helped a lot, and the only part that bothered me was that Jason didn't want me leaving her with my close friends. My best friend Kim in particular wanted to take Abby, and she considered herself Abby's aunt. She wanted to take her and spend the day with her, and Jason wouldn't even consider it. I thought it was because he didn't like Kim. Abby was about two years old when I first heard noises one night. It sounded like a woman's voice, a woman screaming and yelling in the distance. I could hear it, but I I couldn't really tell what she was saying, and it only went on for a few minutes. It was late, and I had woken up to use the bathroom, and I noticed that Jason wasn't next to me like he normally would have been. I got out of bed and put my robe on, and I looked out the back window. Noticed the lights were on in the barn. I never walked out to the barn. It was far back in our yard, and if I went, I usually had to drag Abby with me. But that night, I decided to go. I had a bad feeling. Like I was a girl in a horror movie walking toward danger, but I went anyway. 
In my slippers, I snuck through the grass. The door is open just a crack and I peeked in. I didn't, I didn't see anything. What was strange to me at the time was I didn't see anything at all. Not even Jason. It was October, so there was this cool, eerie breeze around me. All I could hear were the crickets loudly chirping. All I could see was the stillness of the darkness and trees. I got nervous, but more like I felt vulnerable. And I went back into the house pretty quickly. I woke up in the morning and Jason was laying there next to me like normal. Told myself I had heard an owl and Jason probably was in the barn and I just didn't see him. I was trying to push the thoughts that maybe it was a woman and maybe he was cheating on me out of my head. I got up before Jason and Abby that day and cooked all of us breakfast and had some coffee. I was just trying to be normal. Good morning. Hey babe, it smells great in here. What happened next? Did you consider saying anything to him? I had thought about telling him I'd woken up and asking him why he was in the barn, but I didn't want to seem suspicious, so I didn't. I just went about my day like everything was normal, and it wasn't until two weeks later that I heard about the woman who went missing. What was her name? I have it here. Ah, here it is. Her name is Deborah Douglas. I didn't connect it at the time. Um, She was a drug addict and police thought she probably disappeared because of her lifestyle or that she had overdosed. She was local to us and I would have joined the search for her if I had known of any. I don't think there were any. I don't think anyone really even looked for her. I told the police I'm not sure how long she was there. I think she was there. I mean, alive. For a while. I think that because that wasn't the only time I heard noises in the middle of the night. I heard them a few more times and I I didn't have the guts to walk out and see what was making them. Self-blame can ruin a person. I hope Jamie is starting to move past all this. If the story that she has told me is true, and, and I believe that it is, none of this was her fault. I did start noticing other things. Things that just didn't make sense in my mind. Jason started going out with his friends more often, and I started suggesting we invite them over for dinner and drinks. My best friend Kim was single, and I thought maybe I could try to play matchmaker. If there were any decent men in the group, Jason didn't want to bring them over, and he didn't seem to want me to meet them at all. I had finally persisted enough that I think he felt that he had no other choice. It was the March of 2013 when he finally agreed to bring them over. I immediately knew why he didn't want me to meet them. They were strange. Every one of them seemed strange to me. I played the host and had made a big dinner and had drinks for everyone. We had a very large kitchen table, and I had perfect place settings, and Kim helped me prepare everything. When they arrived, we were both taken aback. There were five of them, and not a single one brought a date. And they didn't just seem to know each other well. They seemed to know everything about each other. Even their appearance seemed to be uniform. They were all tall, with dark hair and eyes. I mean... You could tell the difference between them, but there wasn't a single one that stood out from the group. 
There was not a single blonde or even light brown haired man in this group. They were all wearing grungy clothes and they looked like they'd been working all day. Um, It just felt weird to see a man I'd been married to that I thought I knew everything about be so comfortable with these men I'd never met. I never told Jason this, but I felt betrayed like he had this secret life. And I could see in the way that he looked at me that he knew. The strangest part of the evening was that I never told a single one of them where the bathroom was. I know that sounds so insignificant, but they seemed to already know. As if they were all comfortable in my home already. As if they had been there before. And I'd asked Jason if they'd ever been to our home, and he told me they hadn't. I didn't mention any more of my suspicions. I felt that if I waited and watched, the truth would reveal itself. After that, I started to hear noises more often, and Jason's friends started coming over more. They stayed clear of me and Abby, but one took a liking to Kim, and he would talk to her in passing when he came in to use the bathroom or before he left. At first, she wasn't really thrilled about it, but the more he did it, the more she got used to it and started to accept it. She even started to think he was nice. They never came into the house except to use the bathroom, and that was rare even. They just always stayed in the barn, and I think they were always doing horrific things in that barn. Do you remember their names? I only had their first names. Rob... Gary, Bobby, John, and Nate. Nate was the youngest, and he was the one that was interested in Kim. He's the only one that we were able to get a last name for because Kim had asked him and friended him on Facebook. He was reluctant and actually asked her not to tell the other guys that he was even on Facebook. I just remember watching them standing by my kitchen sink in the dark. It was a Saturday night, I think, and I was watching a movie with Kim and Abby in the living room. I could hear them whispering, and I remember waiting so impatiently for her to come spill what she had learned to me. As soon as the movie was over, we went directly to my desk in the computer room, and we learned everything we could about him. Come on, hurry up, I have the computer ready. Keep your pants on, I'm coming. Look at all these pictures his aunt put up. Wait! Look at this one. Those kids look like they starred in a horror movie. Yeah, they do, but that's not what I'm talking about. Look up the stairs at that wall. What about it? Don't you think that's my barn? What are the chances of that? I mean, it looks like it could be, but... He had grown up in the house that me and Jason were living in. I think that was the root of all the evil that occurred in my home. It really didn't seem like too much at the time. It's later that the puzzle really starts to come together. You see, Bobby was Nate's older brother. I think there was about five years in between them. They had both grown up in my house. We found some old pictures online from when they were young. You know, pictures that someone had clearly gotten developed back in the day and taken a digital picture of and posted online. They had relatives that were really into the family tree thing, and most of the pictures of the boys were in the barn. And back then, our house was being used as an actual farm. There were animals and pens and everything, and 
They mostly seem normal, except in the pictures, they were young, but always appeared so dirty and skinny. You could almost say malnourished. They had brown, scraggly hair that looked unwashed, and they were so skinny, their eyes were bulgy. The dirt spots on them were pronounced, like they had been rolling in the mud. And they were dressed in dirty overalls, and the dirt was smeared over their skin, where their shirt should have been, and some of it looked too thick to be dirt. It looked reddish, almost, as if they had been playing in a slaughterhouse. Both of them had these big creepy smiles on their faces and one of the pictures looked like it was in our barn but it was a room and I'd never seen it. Behind their dirty faces you could see steps leading up and at the top I could tell it was our barn. I had never seen the root cellar under our barn. No one had even mentioned it to me. Not even the realtor. We studied the picture for a while just trying to figure out which wall it was on, but we couldn't be sure. Kim told me I was being silly. She didn't believe that the picture had been taken in my barn. It was getting late and Abby had been asleep for hours and Jason came in. Kim and I shut the computer off and went into the living room quickly, like we were children hiding something from our parents. I just didn't want Jason to know I knew. I wondered if he knew Nate and Bobby had lived here. If he did... Why wouldn't he tell me that? It seemed as if it wasn't something that came up, then it was something they were hiding. Nate and Bobby knew there was a cellar under the barn. That meant Jason had to know too. I didn't confront him, but I decided that I would find the truth. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but this looks important. Just give me a minute. Hello? Hey, Jill. Oh, wow. Oh, no, don't worry. I'll be there right away. I'm sorry, everyone, but that was Jillian Jansen with WEVL Channel 13 News. It looks like I have to go help her out with a story. But don't worry. I'll be back in two weeks to finish telling you the story of Jamie and Jason Buckner. This episode of Twilight and Terror was written and produced by Melissa Lancaster. With voice acting by Mandy Elliott as Jamie, Dave Wallowitz as Jason, Lexi Lancaster as Ken, Brian as the pastor, Jillian Jansen as the reporter, and Timmy Lancaster with some pitch change to his voice to play the part of the daughter. And I want to give a special shout out to all my friends and family who have helped support me on this project. You can find the information for music and sound crediting in our show notes. Twilight and Terror is a dark and ominous entertainment production. Don't forget to check out twilightandterror.com or darkandominousentertainment.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for information about upcoming shows and episode trailers. If you have a positive message, you can email us at twilightandterror at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.